0: Hey, good morning, Rolling Hills Church family. I want to say a big welcome to our campus at Nolensville and Nashville and Franklin and online. And so grateful you're tuning in today. Today, we come to the conclusion of an amazing series. We've been in this great series looking at Jesus' teaching ministry. And we have been here in Israel shooting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And it is just beautiful, as you can see behind me. Uh, and this is where Jesus did so much of his ministry. He called his disciples. Now, today, you can see we've got a highway behind us. We've got lots of things that are happening here. But if you look across, you can see ancient Capernaum. And Capernaum is where, you know, Jesus' disciples, Peter, that was where their fishing business was. There was so much of their life and they lived. Peter and Andrew, James and John were in that area. And if you remember in Mark chapter one, in Mark chapter one, Jesus was there and he went to the synagogue, it tells us, in Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach. And he was healing. And and as he taught, it says here in verse 27, the people were so amazed and they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. And and I love that right over there, right? As Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and people say, what is this? What is this? Now, you may kind of get a tie in there if you go back in the Old Testament and you heard the people say, what is this? Uh, That was manna. You remember the first time they saw manna as God provided for them in the desert and they didn't have food to eat and God brought this bread-like substance and they called it, what is this? And now Jesus' teaching was a spiritual nourishment for their souls and their spirits. Just as manna was for them physically, now Jesus' teaching was for them spiritually. And so we see that happen right there. You, You know, most people will agree Jesus was an amazing teacher. In fact, other religions will say, Oh, Jesus, he was a great prophet. He was an amazing teacher. But now we see as Jesus comes to the end of this Sermon on the Mount, this teaching time in Matthew chapter five and six and seven, Jesus begins to turn it. He begins to speak to them and say, Hey, it's not just recognizing that I'm a great teacher, it's not just recognizing that this teaching is important. It's now called to put it into practice. And this is what's gonna separate you from a true disciple and a false disciple. And maybe you go, well, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. And so Jesus says, well, ask, ask. He talks about that in Matthew chapter seven. He says, if anyone asks, right, the Father will give them. And, and I love how he keeps coming. And we're gonna unpack this today. And he says, how much more does God, your heavenly father wanna give you good things? You, you know, as a dad, I have three daughters and I love my daughters. I mean, Grace is 15 and Avery is 13 and Kate is 10. And they are amazing and I love them so much. And I gotta tell you, I, I try to watch what we spend on a lot of different things. And, and, you know, I hate spending money or wasting money. But when it comes to my girls, I'll buy them something, you know, (laughs) I'll spend them. And they go, daddy, and I'm just like, okay, you know. And there's something about that. Think about that in your relationship with God. Think about how much more he wants you to succeed. He wants you to have a great life. He wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to know what he is teaching you. And so as we conclude this study, that we pray and say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? How do you want me to put it into practice? Because Jesus will then say, right, there is a narrow gate and there is a wide gate. And there's a lot of people out there who will say, I'm a great teacher. There's a lot of crowds that will come up on the mountain to hear me, but I'm looking for disciples. I'm looking for people who will go the narrow way. I'm looking for people who will follow. Jesus is inviting you to follow. He's inviting you to put it into your life. He doesn't want us to be false disciples who say, yeah, Jesus, he's great, you know, and then kind of go and live however we want to live. He wants us to be true disciples and true disciples put it into practice. Jesus ends this whole Sermon on the Mount and he talks about that. He talks about a wise builder and a foolish builder. And he talks about the wise builder building his house on the rock and the foolish builder on the sand. And I love how he says the rains came down and the storms blew against both houses. Just because you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you're not gonna go through challenges or hard times. But you know what does mean is this, is that God's with you and God is for you. Jesus concludes this teaching, this Sermon on the Mount and it says, when he had finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. You know, as you've seen over these last five weeks, there's something different about the way Jesus teaches. He teaches in a way that you and I hear and obey, trust and believe and follow and so as we conclude this morning at all of our campuses you're going to hear the word we're going to unpack Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 all the way to the end but I hope you're amazed at the teaching but I hope it causes you to put it into practice I hope it inspires you to live as a disciple because you know God is for you and if God is for you who can be against you and that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we live as true disciples Oh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. This morning we come to the conclusion of this series. And man, what a great series it's been as we've talked about the words from the Mount. and We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon. And I hope through these little video clips that you've kind of gotten a picture of the topography and the setting of what it looked like there as Jesus gave this first message 2,000 years ago. And think about the, the mountain that he would have been on, this Mount of Beatitudes, and people coming and crowds being there. Uh, But if you remember, it says all the crowds were there and they were all around, but Jesus brought his disciples to him and he began to teach them that this teaching is for his disciples, this teaching is for those who would follow him. And Jesus is making a distinction between the way of the world and the way of religion and the way of Christ. And Jesus is going, my call is different. You don't just fall in with the world, you don't just go into religion, you follow me. And he starts with the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember in Matthew chapter five and he begins, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this poor in spirit, right, that, that we recognize our need for God. This call to humility that he is God and I'm not. And blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, over their brokenness. And blessed are the meek who bring their lives under the control of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and want more of God. And so he sets this standard there. And then he talks about the fulfillment of the law. He says, you've heard it said, right? Do not murder. But I tell you, don't even be angry with your brother in your heart. It's like, whoa, hold on. Whole different level. Whole different standard, Right? You know, he's calling us to really search our hearts. And he goes, let me just set this contrast, right? About giving to the needy or prayer or fasting. He says, when you do these things, and I know you're doing them, but when you do them, do them with the right heart. Do them with the right motives. Do them in a way to bring honor and glory to God. And last week we saw, hey, don't just store up treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. Think about the eternal. Think about the life that is to come. And don't worry. You worry today? Say, don't worry. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Now, when Jesus started talking about this, your heavenly Father, this kind of blew their minds, right? Because in the Old Testament, God introduces himself as Yahweh. I am who I am. And there was this awe and this reverence, this respect for God, Right, he is God. Like when the Jews write Yahweh, they don't even put the vowels in the word because they don't want to mess it up somehow and take the Lord's name in vain. And so you've got this holy God out here. Now, back in the Old Testament, there was a couple of references to God as the Father of the nation of Israel, but Jesus says, "Your heavenly Father," personal. That there's a God who cares about you. You matter to Him individually. And when he starts talking about this, man, you can just kind of see everybody, whoa, this is different. What Jesus is calling us to and inviting us to is different. I want to follow him. So if you have a Bible, let's get to work today. Matthew chapter seven, Matthew chapter seven. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. Love for you to grab one. We'll also put the words on the screen, or if you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures at you version. But we're coming to the conclusion today. Jesus is really focusing in. So pick up here in verse seven. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? And, oh, man, I love that right there. So if you underline your Bible, underline that right there. How much more will your personal, your father mm, in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Exclamation point. Jesus is like, guys, don't miss this, right? He's like, the God of the universe is inviting you into this relationship. He's inviting you to pray. He's inviting you to bring your needs and bring your requests to him. And I love how Jesus gives this illustration that, that we would all get, right? If you're a parent in the room or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, he says, if your son comes and asks for for bread, are you going to say, huh? no way, I'm just going to give you a stone? You wouldn't do that. If he ask for a fish, you're not going to go, here's a snake. No, come on. And he goes, and you guys are evil, right? <laughs> you're selfish. You're all about you. Think about the perfect father. Your heavenly father, how much more he wants to give good gifts to you. Think about in your life how God has sustained you, how God has taken care of you, how God has blessed you, how God is with you and God is for you. And then Jesus comes to verse 12 and one of the most famous verses in kind of the entire Bible, really the entire world, right? Jesus said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets, the golden rule right there in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. When you think about this, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gives us, you right, the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Jesus gives us the love of your enemies. Jesus gives us the golden rule. And most people in the world, whether they're Christian or not, know the golden rule. Now, when Jesus gave the golden rule, I mean, think about how powerful this is. I mean, other religions have had kind of a negative form of this, you know? Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you, right, that's kind of, The mindset for most people, right? I don't want you to kill me, so I'm not going to kill you, right? I don't want you to steal from me, so I'm not going to steal from you. But Jesus turns it to the positive. Jesus says, do for others what you would have them do for you. You do it. You go and live it. Somebody's sick, you would want somebody to come visit you, wouldn't you? You go visit them. Somebody's hungry, you would want somebody to bring you food, wouldn't you, if you were hungry? You go take food. Somebody's in need, you go. And he says, this sums up all the law and the prophets. Jesus has taken the entire Old Testament. Remember, Testament means covenant. The entire Old Covenant, and he's putting it in here, the New Covenant, the New Testament. He's going, hey guys, this sums it all up. You go live that way. You trust God as your Father. You love God, and then you love others. You go live it out. You go serve. You go make a difference. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Puts it in the positive. Then he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now think about this. There's this huge crowd there. And Jesus goes, guys, listen. Listen. A lot of this crowd, people are gonna get swept up and they're just gonna go their own way. And they're gonna go the broad way and they're gonna head off to destruction. But you come through the narrow gate. You come to me. And Jesus later on in John chapter 14, verse 6, he'll say this I am the way. I am. And when they heard this, I am, man, they recognized that. Wait a minute. I am Yahweh, right? I am. So you go back to the Old Testament. Anybody used I am? That was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're putting themselves up on the level with God. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And this wasn't Jesus being exclusive. This was Jesus saying, here's the invitation. Guys, you're going off a cliff. You're headed to destruction. Whoa, stop. Here is life. Here is hope. Here is joy. Here is peace. Come this way. Come follow me. Jesus is inviting them. Broad is the way. Man, we see that in the world today, right? So many people is just like going off, just following the ways of the world, just kind of living life, living for myself, living for what brings me pleasure. (laughs) Jesus is going, oh, there's so much more for not only this life, but for the life to come. Come follow me. Then he said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus... By their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus goes, you know, some people can say whatever they want to say, but you can look at their life and tell how they're living. Right? You look at a tree and you go, man, that's an apple tree. Why? Because it has apples on it. (laughs) It's like, that makes sense, right? There's an orange tree. It has orange on it, you know? He's like, look at your life. Look at people's lives. Look at how they're living by their fruit you will know them. And so we come and we kind of start to look at our lives. And we go, does my life look more like the world? Or is my life looking more like Jesus? Not that I've got it all figured out, not that i got all the answers, but man, what is the fruit of my life? And he goes, be careful because there's people who are going to say, hey, this is the way, and you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Your life doesn't add up with this. Your your life doesn't add up with scripture. You're not producing spiritual fruit in your life. I'm going to come back to the word of God. So he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's strong, okay? But look, here's what I want you to get, right? There were Pharisees, there were religious leaders back in this day, there were people that were leading the people down to religion, and he's going, you know, they're doing a lot of things in the name of God, but they're missing me. And if you underline, again, in your Bible, underline that verse right there where he says, then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. What's he saying? It's about a relationship. Don't miss that, guys. It's about a relationship with God. It's not about religion. It's not about, hey, I get all my life perfect and figured out. I get my stars and my check marks. It's about a relationship with God that we know him and he knows us. And God is drawing you to himself and God is inviting you into this relationship. And there comes a time when we say, God, I yield my life to you. You are God. I am not. And God, I want a relationship with you. And one day we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, God knows your name. But it comes when you submit your life to Christ. Therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you say, what's it there for? He's tying all this together, right? He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and... Notice there's an and there, right? You can hear the words. Today you can be here, you can hear all of it, right? But and puts them into practice. Is like a man, wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, right? They were amazed, like, whoa, we've never heard this. We've just heard about the world. We've just heard about seeking pleasure. We've just heard about, we've just heard about religion, and we have to show up at the temple three times a year, That we have to offer this sacrifice. We've just heard about that. We've never heard about a relationship with God as our heavenly Father. They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. All right, guys, if you're taking notes today, I want you to get this. Man, this is so important. I mean, we're seeing the very words of Jesus right here. So look at this. First of all, you see the gift of prayer. The gift of prayer, right? Jesus says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. How often do you pray? You know, so often what I find with most people is like, well, I'm just too busy to pray. All right, I got so much to do today. I got to get up and get after it, man. I got to crush it because there is a lot going on in my life. You're like, wow, how often do you pray? And here's the God of the universe. Here's the God who created all that there is. Here's the God who created you, inviting you to have this relationship with him, inviting you in to ask, to bring your request before him. See, I believe this, God answers every prayer we pray. And he answers in one of three ways. He answers yes, we love that. We're like, oh yeah, thank you, God, you know? We love when he just answers prayers immediately. And I bet if you look back over your life, you can go, man, there has been prayer after prayer after prayer that God has answered. There have been times when I've just thought, man, I had no hope or no help, and God came through. In fact, You're here today, you've got clothes on, you've got food to eat, you've got shelter, you've got all this stuff. I mean, God has answered prayer in your life. But sometimes God answers no. We don't like that prayer as much. But you think about this, God is our Heavenly Father. And God knows what's best. And I bet if you look back over your life, you're probably pretty happy sometimes that God didn't answer no. There were probably some prayers that you prayed, you're like, Sure glad I didn't end up up with her, you know. (laughs) I'm glad I didn't end up with him, you know. I'm glad glad that didn't work out, God. Thank you. Now, at the time, I was not real happy about it, but but thank you. And we know, if you're a parent, right, your your kids will be like, man, I just want to have chocolate for every meal. And you're like, okay, I mean, I want to give that to you, but I want you to be healthy. And there's times that God answers no. But there's also times that God answers wait. God answers wait. I know what's best for you hold on. I haven't given up on you, so you don't give up on me. And maybe you're here today in a time of waiting. Man, God's with you, and God's for you, and the best is still to come in your life. You hold on to him. You hold on to him. Look at this one. What are you asking God for in your life today? What are you asking that that only God can do? And I think sometimes as as Christians, we just kind of go, okay, I'm going to pray benign prayers. I'm going to pray small prayers. But man, God's asking us to be bold. Who are you praying for to come to know Jesus? Who are you praying for to to be redeemed in their life, restored? Who are you praying for? You know, they, they would see a miracle or see a blessing. What are you praying for today? And if you don't have like specific things that you're praying for, I just want to challenge you and encourage you. Write some down. And go, God, I'm going to bring them to you. You said ask and you will receive. God, I'm going to be bold. I want to bring these before you. The goal of prayer is not simply to get what you want, but to know God. The goal of prayer is not simply, "Hey, God, you're some cosmic Santa Claus up there, right? You're just some vending machine, and if I show up for church enough and get the right check marks, and God, you know, you got to honor that, you got to do that." No, the goal is to get to know God. The goal is for us to grow deeper in our faith and stronger in our faith and more committed to Him. So that's why He says, "Ask." You be in right relationship with God. Look at this one: the danger of cultural Christianity. The danger of cultural Christianity. You know, back then they had cultural religion, right? Back in the Old Testament, when God gave the law, the law was meant to lead people to Him. But they began to worship the law. They began to make it all about the sacrifices and they made it all about these rituals and, and regulations. And He's going, Whoa, 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 you missed me. You forgot about me. But the same thing can happen today. A lot of people go, well, we, we live in the Bible Belt, right? Everybody's a Christian. You no, know, it's the Bible Belt, right? I mean, no, 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 no. There comes to a personal relationship with God. It's not just cultural Christianity. I'm so glad you're at church. But being here doesn't make us a believer. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. and Many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Right? Hey, being at church doesn't make you a Christian. Now, it's important. We need to be at church. We grow deeper in our faith. It's where we meet God. It's where we dedicate the first of our week to Him. We need this time desperately. But we come here to worship out of an overflow of what God's doing in our life. But there are must be a time where we've committed our lives to Christ because only a relationship with Jesus Christ makes you a Christian. There comes a time for every one of us as God is drawing us to himself that we say, Jesus, yes, I wanna follow you. I wanna commit my life to you. For me, it was when I was eight years old. I was eight years old. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. I was blessed to have godly parents. I'm so thankful But it wasn't just being at church. I knew when I was eight years old that I needed a Savior. I knew that was sinful. I knew there was something wrong. And I got down on my knees by my bed, and I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Most important decision I ever made in my life. I'm going to tell you, it gets better all the time. there comes this time when you yield your life to Christ. So here's the question. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? This is a question every one of us has to answer. It's not just about your family's faith. It's not about, hey, you live in the Bible Belt. It's like, is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? There comes a time where I've made a commitment. When I'm saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you think about that. The God of the universe is inviting you into that relationship. We're all sinful. We all made mistakes. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. No doubt about it. And for us, man, maybe that day is today. Maybe that moment is now. Maybe it's, you're here and you just go, you know what, I've kind of been going with the flow, I've been caught up in the world, I've been living for me, but today I want Jesus. I want him as the Lord of my life. Look at this one. The importance of fruit in your life, guys. The importance of fruit in your life. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You will recognize them. Hey, none of us are perfect. Take that off the table right now. We're all a work in progress, right? But there should be spiritual fruit in our lives. There should be spiritual fruit in our lives. The religious leaders, they memorize more scripture than all of us. Pharisees, unbelievable, man. I mean, you know, yeah, Jewish kids were growing up, man, When they, by the time they're 12 years old, they had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the law, the Torah, right? They, they come and they memorize it and they say it, they quote it, they actually sing it. But many of them miss Jesus. That was what the whole scripture was leading to, is Jesus. And in our lives, man, we can miss Jesus. If there's no fruit in your life, then you should wonder, am I really a Christ follower? I mean, if I look at my life and I go, you know, my life looks more like the world than it does Jesus. Now, I'm not perfect. I've got a long way to go. But boy, there is a desire in my heart to know God. There is a desire in me to be at church. There is a desire in me to to read God's word. And many times I'm busy. I don't have as much time as I want. But but listen, there is something in me. And there is in me fruit. And I look at my life and I go, here's where I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And and, and yet, here's where I am today. And there is a difference. Five or 10 years ago, man, I, I was angry. I was mad. I I would always get frustrated. I wasn't growing. But but today, there is a difference. And and maybe, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm seeing some fruit in my life. We serve God not to earn His grace, but because we have received His grace. (laughs) When we receive the grace of God, then we're like, man, I want to know God more, and I want to serve Him. I want to be generous. I want to be kind I want to give back there's something in me and it's not that I am saved by my works it's because I am saved and that I want to serve is there a spiritual fruit in your life is there a spiritual fruit in your life again not that we're perfect but man is there a desire to grow deeper in Christ is there a, a desire to read and study? Is there a desire to to be in right relationship with the people around me? Is is there a love for my my roommates, for my friends, for my spouse, for my children? Is there a deeper growing love that says, hey, there is Christ in you? (laughs) And then this fourth one, who or what is the foundation of your life? Who or what is the foundation of your life? Because we're all building our lives on something. We are all building our lives on something. Jesus says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What's the foundation of your life? Jesus only gives us two choices. He only says we have two options, right, which we build our life. It's either rock or sand. It's rock or sand. Uh, my kids, we love to go to the beach. We try to go once a year, get down to the beach. It's just so awesome. And, and my kids love to build sandcastles. And we've gotten pretty good at sandcastles, right? I mean, like, over the years, we, we build these sandcastles. They started off really small. We have one little bucket, you know, we're trying to build this. And, and now it's gotten bigger. We've got more buckets and shovels. And, and we've built some epic sandcastles. But here's the thing. The day after we build it, we come out the next day, and we've never had a sandcastle that's lasted. We don't ever come back the next day and go, "Wow, look at that!" I mean, all these people are around checking out our sandcastle, right? But no, nobody's there because the sandcastle is usually gone. The waves come and they take the sandcastle away, or the wind, you know, pushes it away. If we try to build it further up the beach, you know, and uh, or somebody walk through our sandcastle, it just doesn't last. We keep trying to build them, right? But are you building your life on rock or sand? Sand is shifting, but the rock is solid. And there's so many people who try to build on shifting sand. There's so many people who built their life, man. It's about money. And if I can get this much money, my savings or my 401k, woo, then I feel secure. until the stock market drops four thousand points in one week, right? And all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, that's shifting sand right it's not bad to save you should save right but but hold on that can't be the foundation of my life and we try to build it on somebody else and then that person goes through a change in their heart or they're changing their life and that boyfriend breaks up with that girlfriend or something happens with their own kids and we're like whoa that's shifting sand or we build it on health and we think "Ah, i don't need god All right, I got all this. And then all of a sudden, something happens. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. And none of those things are bad. But we have to keep coming back to, what is the foundation of my life? Because everything else is shifting. It's only one rock that is solid. The storms come against both houses. I want you to see that. When Jesus told this parable, he said, the rain and the streams and the storms came against both houses. And if you are in Christ, you're going to go through challenges. It's how you get stronger. It is. We don't like going through challenges, but Jesus went through challenges. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You hold on to me. There is only one rock that lasts for this life and for eternity, and it's Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus and for you and I to say, ma'am, I want my life to be about Him. I want Him to be the foundation of my heart and my life. I want to live my life for Him. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. About six weeks ago, I was sick. I don't like being sick. I just hate being sick, right? And, and, and as a guy, the last thing I wanted to do was go to the doctor, okay? You know, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I keep getting worse, I keep getting worse. And finally, Lisa's like, you got to go to the doctor. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the doctor. I'm a man, you know? Like I can handle this, right? And finally, I, like, went to the doctor. I get to the doctor, and the doctor goes, you're sick. And I'm like, thanks, doc. That's why I'm here, right? I know that. And he's like, no, you're really sick, right? And so you got this bad infection, and, and I'm going to give you this medicine and you'll probably be better in about 10 days. And I said, well, I don't have 10 days, so you have anything better, you're stronger, because you know, I need to get well now. And, and he's like, well, no, you gotta take this, this medicine. Now, what if I would've gone, you know, doc, thank you, that's great, I'll take your medicine, I hear you, I hear what you're saying, but <laughs> I'm really not gonna take this medicine. I don't wanna do it, right, because I'm a man, and I'm gonna get better myself, I'm gonna do it. And I just go home and I put the medicine on the shelf and I go back to doing whatever I want to do and I keep getting sicker and more and more desperate. And finally I end up in the hospital, right? And the medicine's sitting there the entire time. But what if I say, you know what, I want to hear this and I want to put it into practice. I want to take that medicine and I'm going to start taking it and I get better. Here's the deal, guys. Jesus makes you better. I don't know how else to say it. I'm just telling you, Jesus makes you better. You may have been in a church and you may have heard that all the time. You may have heard this gospel truth, but at some point, you can't just hear it. You gotta live it. At some point you go, I wanna put that into my life. I wanna be better. I wanna be whole. I wanna be complete. I want my life to be lived for the glory of God because Jesus makes your marriage better. Jesus makes you a better parent. Jesus changes everything in your life. Jesus brings hope and joy and peace. He makes your life better. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, come, it's a narrow way. It's easy to go the way of the world. It's easy to just do religion and get a check mark. But I want to tell you there is a narrow way that leads to life and life abundant. And it's for you. Your heavenly Father has sent me to you. Praise be to God. I don't know where you are today, but I know this, God's here. And these words from 2,000 years ago have been changing people's lives because of the grace of God for 2,000 years and changed our world. And God wants to change your heart and your life today. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, brought his disciples, those same disciples that sat there on that mountain and heard this and said, we're gonna follow, We want to see miracles. We want to see God change the world. Those same disciples, Jesus brought them together on the night he was betrayed and he took bread. He said, guys, this is my body broken for you. I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to show you how much I care for you. I'm going to pay the price for your sins so that you're not eternally separated from God. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant. My grace poured out for you. And so this morning we have the privilege to join with believers all around the world today, throughout the centuries, who have come to the table and said, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I wanna invite some of our A6 men and women to, who are serving you today, if they would move to the tables. There's two tables up front, there's two tables in the middle, there's two tables in the back, the table closest to you maybe behind you. But I wanna invite you this morning to come If you are a follower of Jesus, to come to the table, to take a piece of the bread, his body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive the grace of God, to realize that I'm in need, and Jesus, you met my deepest need, and I'm committing my life to follow you forever. Maybe this morning when you come to the table, you want to bring a burden, you want to bring a worry, a fear, just lay it down figuratively on that table just cast your cares upon the lord because he cares for you and then receive the grace of god and let's live it out so let me pray for us right now father thank you for your presence this morning oh god thank you that you are good and that through jesus we can call you our heavenly father my heavenly father and god you love me so much you sent your one and only son to pay the price for my sins. Thank you for the good news of the gospel, for Jesus being here. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to come to your table. Meet us in this moment. I pray for anybody here, God, who's never received you. that this morning, they would open their heart and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive my sins, redeem me, restore me. And for those of us, God, who are disciples of yours, Father, grow us stronger, grow us deeper, grow us more passionate about you in our day, in our generation. So we come to your table to dedicate our lives to you, both now and forever. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we come. Amen, amen.